everyone, and welcome to the Geek Rant, episode 346. Insert clever title here. Recorded January 20th, 2018, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element opie.com welcome back ladies and gentlemen to drive time radio for geeks i'm your host mark sometimes known as the sultan of the soap soapbox cockerel and joining me this week as always are your two stalwart co-hosts seth the gooey kid anderson and miles the aussie junior wakeham hello gentlemen hey mark and welcome to the faithful opiates faithful faithful yeah Sorry, it was it was two words competing, and the wrong word won, so it messed up my whole clever, pithy thought. <laughs> All president accounted for, yeah, sir. Team Penske. So, do you, do you cheer oh, for yeah. a driver that is a Team Penske driver? Yes, of course. Number 12, Will Power. Last year's Indy 500 winner, I may tell you. Okay. So, how do you pick NASCAR numbers? How does that work? I think the drivers do that. They often go with their lucky number if it's available, and if not, they get issued one. And, I mean, do you, like, have the same number your whole life? Or, like, if you change sponsors, do you have to change numbers? I know nothing about NASCAR. Well, it's not NASCAR. It's IndyCar. IndyCar. Yeah, that's really me. important. I, I know. I don't know enough about that to know that I just made a bad thing. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, no, what happens is that if you if you're the world champion, you always get number. This is in IndyCar. If you're the world champion, you always get car number one. That's a traditional thing. And if you're not, then you return back to your selected number. So whatever that might be. So is Indy? That's the super modified guys with the fins on the front and stuff. Yeah, pretty much. It's like Formula One, um, like Formula One. Basically, and there's a lot of oval tracks. But Formula um, One is European and IndyCar is American? Yeah, it's what we would call open-wheel racing. So there is okay. no prote- protection other than a small cocoon that the driver's sitting in, uh, and they could be killed, and they often are. Right. And NASCAR is allegedly a stock car. Like, yeah. in theory, everything they do to their cars, you could do to your car, in theory. Yes, NASCAR originated from the um, whiskey runs runners in the uh, Carolinas, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they had to outrun the cops, so they needed faster cars, and they they did that, and then eventually they all realized, hey, we got fast cars, let's do something with them, and they turned to racing. And so you you are an IndyCar fan, not a NASCAR fan, or you'll take what you can get either way. Yeah, well, see, I grew up in a town that used to be um, a host of a Formula One race, and I discovered Formula One in Australia visiting my local town's race, not knowing what it was, that it was this massive world event and everything. And then um, after I worked all that out, I ended up getting fascinated by it and traveled around the world and saw different races in different places and, and it, it, you know, got addicted. What do you do? Do and they, then, then here's the weird thing, though. I came to the States, not much in the way of Formula One was going on for a long time until maybe five years ago. And in that time, I discovered IndyCar because I happened to be in Los Angeles and somebody took me to the Toyota Grand Prix. Um, I didn't know what the circuit was, what the race was. I really loved it. And then I became a big IndyCar follower. All right. So cool. do they drive in the other direction in Australia? <laughs> um, no. Uh, well, they don't. There's not a direction because most of it's streetcar circuits. They're, they're road courses and stuff. Joke there. The- well, they do drive on the other side of the road, though. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and, and supposedly the the tub swirls the opposite way. So it does. Figured, you know, maybe are there more left-handed people in Australia because of anyway. Not not as such, no. <laughs> this is my North American bigotry chauvinism, I guess is the right word showing here. Anyway, that that uh, segment of Interview Your Co-Host brought to you by, <laughs> by Mark's Curiosity. Um, so before we go any further, I just want to take a brief moment to apologize for the audio quality of last week's show. Um, through a, a, an amazing confluence of events... Uh, both primary and secondary recordings were lost, and so we had to use Miles's uh, backup recording, which was, you know, acceptable, but not at the level of quality that I uh, like. And why should it be? Because it was just him recording what he listens to, and he wasn't expecting it to actually be used. So, um, just so you know, I know it was bad, and uh, sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It was only a backup. I just kept it because I don't know why I kept it. I just I always keep a copy of everybody else's audio, and I just happen to have it. Yeah, and and it's a good thing that you did because you know had you not, um, I wouldn't because Seth lost his connectivity, and then like he was gone, and then ordinarily I record, but then I lost that anyway. It was just the world hated us last week. It's probably because we recorded on Saturday, and that just ruined everything. Yeah, we set up our world domination plans for Sunday evening only, and we forgot to tick the other boxes just yeah. in case. Darn it. So, But there is a lesson for geeks here, and that is NASA double-level redundancy never hurts. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the next option was I was going to go to YouTube and download the audio from there, and as Jinda, who's listening live right now, can testify, that audio sucks really bad. Um, and it's just because YouTube... They compress the crap out of everything. And I don't blame get them. What, get what you pay for. Yeah. I mean, when you're uploading 48 hours every second of video, you, so compression is pretty important. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so that's all I have to say about that. I, we are a little uh, footloose and fancy free uh, topic-wise tonight. Uh, we were talking about it before uh, we started recording. Uh, I had about a 50 five to 60 hour work week this week and and miles uh also said he spent pretty much the whole week working and seth has a job now so um you know it's been it's been atypical all the way around hey i have a job <laughs> and a side business i'm trying to do and yeah. a long commute so all right so the point is we we didn't really get together um ahead of time we, we haven't planned anything and sometimes some of our best shows are when we don't plan uh sometimes when we don't plan we it sounds like we don't plan so uh just you know there you go that's what it is it, this is going to be a, a a shoot from the hip kind of episode okay what you pay for <laughs> so yeah anyway i'm not even gonna go there um uh, in my quest to make 50 things this uh, year, uh, I am in the process of, I haven't finished yet. Uh, I did actually finish one, my prototype, so I could say I did one thing this week. Uh, but uh, again, using just scraps of wood I had laying around, I made trivets, which is a fancy word for hot pads, uh, to put pots on at the table, and some coasters. Just a little, I didn't have enough to make anything big, uh, so I made, I think, seven or eight trivets and eight or so coasters so that either counts as two things because i made two different items or thing one thing because it was a project of scrap wood or 15 things 
have a feeling by you know come October I'm going to be looking at 15 things um, in my goal to make 50 things. But uh, I spent all day yesterday on that, and then uh, some time today sanding. Uh, sanding is my life these days. Lots and lots of sanding. Do you have a life? I will. One of the things that I intend to make this week is a uh, this year is a lathe. I'm going to make a uh, two things. I like the idea of making my own tools. And two things that I don't have that I would like to have is a thickness pointer or drum sander, which will work do, uh, and a lathe. And I intend to build DIY versions of both of those at some point in the year. Wow. Now that's adventurous. It'll take yeah, more I gotta than a say, week. Mark, it's, it's, very, it's very cool. You know, it, it's not enough to inspire me, but it's enough to point me in the general direction the inspiration might hit me. Um <laughs> you know, as you, um, talk about what you've been doing this year. So kudos to you. A lathe is pretty simple. I, I, my thinking is I can hook my bench grinder up to a pulley and run some all thread, you know, and, and, uh, some, uh, a dowel or something and, and boom, you've got a, you've got a pulley. Uh, I mean, a, a, a lathe, it's not going to be a super high quality lathe, but it, it'll be fine. And uh, the drum sander, which I plan to make, will be roughly the same thing. So um, there, if you if you YouTube um, stuff, there, there's this guy. I don't know where he's from. He His uh, videos uh, are both in English and in some Cyrillic language, you know, Turkish maybe. I'm totally guessing. He never speaks, but uh, he just puts uh, a text on thing. And he's all about diy stuff and some of the stuff he makes is like a a, a, a drill powered bandsaw you know it's such a cool idea and so that has sort of inspired me to try to make some of my own stuff instead of you know i could run down to harbor freight and buy something disposable you know use it for a year and throw it away or i can make something that may also last a year and i throw it away but at least then i made it so right we'll see what happens yeah diy is awesome i, I fixed our garage uh, our garage. I fixed our automatic gate opener on our house, and it was one of those. I'm going to do this myself just because I got so stubborn. I just was sick and tired of this thing not working, and you know I'm just also sick and tired of everybody when something doesn't work. You just throw it out and buy another right. one. Uh, Sixteen hundred dollars for one of these things. So I ain't going to throw it out and buy another one. <laughs> and um, you know it's surprisingly satisfying. When you spend three or four hours with a multimeter trying to work out what exactly went wrong on this circuit board and you trace it back and it's a stupid battery lug that needed to be soldered. I mean, something as simple as that. But DIY for the win, guys. Right. Yeah, so my my shop is, is a very small, um, it's like a 12 by 10 room. It's it's half of a half of a uh, of a basement sort of thing. Um, and whoever owned the house before me was clearly a DIY or there's, there's a homemade workbench there that has seen some life and is, is in a lot of, in really rough shape. But one of my things that I want to do, um, is I want to rip everything out that's there now and build a single, uh, work table. What, what's there now is about three, uh, 36 inches wide and runs the, like the 12 foot length of the room which is fine unless I'm working on something 40 inches across. And then because it's built into the side of the room, I can't get to the other side of it. So what I do is rip all that out and make like a four by eight table that I can get around on wheels that I can move, you know, and configure as I need it and then put all my stuff in there. So I'll have one end of it will be the bands, uh, the table saw, 
will be built into the table than the the bandsaw that I'm going to make and and the 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 miter saw will all be built in and so I'll be able to just sort of walk around this table and, and use whatever piece of tool piece of equipment that I need. That's that's long term thinking. It'll probably take me months to put that together. So the thing a week thing it may end up at the end of three months. I made a thing, but it's a huge thing. So we'll see. So good. Cool. I just, uh, I've, I've always been a closet maker and, and I've decided that this is the year I'm going to be a real maker. I'm going to put my, um, you know, my, uh, money where my mouth is, I guess is, is what they say. I'm, I'm going to say, you know, am I, am I a guy that makes stuff or am I a guy that talks about making stuff? And, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, before the show time is the the enemy you know when you're 45 plus years old and you got kids and you got a job time is the thing that you have the least off you know we often we've talked about there's a point where you have more time than money and so you're willing to do the menial jobs you're willing to to do whatever for for nothing and then that equation flips over to uh, over the years and you end up having more money than time and that's where people start throwing money at like you know the thing that you could just replace or pay some guy to mow your lawn or whatever because you've got more money than time i'm trying to uh reclaim uh some of the time and, and try to move myself from sedentary to active um and also just you know uh try to to be a producer and not a consumer but it's difficult because you know time I, i'm i give i sell 40 plus hours of myself to my job and then i i have my kids and of course i have the show that i do so anyway time is a thing that it is a resource that i'm realizing as i get older that i'm running out of and i need to start allocating that for you know something something important and i don't know that you know making end grain trivets out of scrap wood is important but having done something and having spent my time in a productive way is important to me. Well, and there's also the, once you get moving in any direction, it's easier to change directions than it is to start. And so, and that's the problem with most of us is we spend all of our time sitting still. And then we look back and wonder why we didn't go anywhere. Whereas other people, they went somewhere and it might not have been where they wanted to go, but they are able to see, wow, you know, it was actually a pretty cool journey. So, and so to to clumsily segue into something that we were talking about earlier in the midst of you know this government shutdown that's going on there there are a whole lot of people that are realizing that they weren't headed in any direction you know they're they're they've missed a paycheck headed toward missing two paychecks and i don't know a lot of people that can miss two paychecks without feeling it but there's this you know there's a, a big mass of people who are realizing that they have been you know financially treading water or worse for a long time and i i I predict that we're going to see some that this thing this political gambit this slap fight among immature uh children is going to produce a significant economic downturn in the year 2019 just because you know uh, a we have a whole segment of society they're dependent on the government and i don't mean welfare recipients i mean government employees uh even even um people who are uh who are private employees who have government contracts you know the this this thing is affecting hundreds of millions of people directly or indirectly yeah the ethan way there's hmm. uh, go ahead miles you i know you've got some deep thoughts on this well 
<clears throat> my wife is a clothing designer. She does costumes uh, for mainly dance studios, large-scale dance studios. One of her largest clients is in Baltimore in Maryland. So we uh, flew out there back in, oh, I don't think it's like o October last year. And uh, I didn't realize, but the location of where this uh, studio was, was right on the border between Washington, D.C. and Maryland, right, right there. So we flew into, uh, Bolt into Baltimore Airport. As we were driving there, I'm driving past like, you know, the NSA building. And it, it was kind of weird. <laughs> I'd never seen, I had no idea where this stuff was. And we're driving right through federal government 101 here, you know. Um, she uh, got a massive order from them for, I don't know how much, like 30, 40,000 bucks uh, for three, four months worth of work. And so she took all of these orders and she's been working diligently on trying to fulfill it. Uh, but she relies on sort of payments that come in incrementally to obtain the fabric to be able to do the work. And um, everything was going fine until December. Then nothing. <laughs> no money. Everything stopped work. What are, you know, what are you going to do? Um, when we were there, I noticed that everybody who went to the, the studio, were, they, were, they were wealthy. I mean, I'm saying like better than a middle class. They drove nice cars, they wore nice clothes, they went to nice restaurants. Um, it was the traditional middle-class goal lifestyle. And then, of course, if they had a little extra money, they could put their daughter into a dance studio, um, make her a ballerina, that sort of thing. And um, everything was seemed to be going just perfectly to plan until <laughs> the money ran out and uh, it all came down to this shutdown and just... You know, so we, we've had a direct effect from it, not as federal government workers. I don't have any, uh, currently, I don't have any federal government clients that I'm working with. I have state and local, but not federal. But it doesn't really matter whether you're directly affected by this because we're all indirectly affected in one way. The, the uh, corner store that services the, serves the lunches to the people who work for the government, they're feeling it. And the UPS delivery guy who delivers the packages to the government, they're feeling it. And the gas stations who aren't selling as much gas because people don't need to get on the road and go to work so much, they're feeling it. Y you see where I'm going. Everybody's right. feeling it. And one month, what, 30 days we're in right now? Um, yeah, I think we've just hit the threshold of we're really going to feel it and it's going to ripple into the next three or four months and it could cause like a massive recession. Our economy is so uh, thinly balanced because it's so based on debt. If you can't make that payment, you don't want to be foreclosed. You don't want to be evicted. You don't want to lose your car. You don't want to lose your kids, you know, uh, college or kids' college funds or their, you know, maybe their private school tuition. Making adjustments like this is really hard and this thing comes in in such a way where nobody saw it coming uh, and bazinga, they are. You know, I think, I don't know, it's it's hard because, like, I had the realization, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm working a job under where I ought to be and – seems like the story of my life, but that would be a different podcast altogether. Um, and so I'm sitting around with people who are in some cases half my age and going, 
this is ridiculous. I took stock of myself and I realized, you know, I've heard Dave Ramsey for years and everybody, and it took me to be in this position to go, you know, maybe I really should start saving and not just because, oh, I want to save for a down payment for a car. Oh, I want to save for a vacation. Okay. I've done all that stuff. Oh, I want to invest a little bit in the market. Okay. But I mean, no, I need to start saving. And so I just decided, I don't know how this is going to work, but 10% is going to go in savings and I'm going to figure out a way to make the rest work. And I mean, granted two months in, it's not like I've saved a million dollars, but you know, I mean, I've made the rest work. I mean, grant my margin is much tighter, but I still got a little one. And I can see my investments, they're on the map now. It's a very, it's a very tiny hill, barely breaking the waterline, but it's going to grow up. And, you know, in this short term, hey, this, this financial shutdown is, is stupid and it's petty. And, it, you know, and if we had some mature people running the country, that would require mature people to vote for them. And so that's probably part of the problem. But, if people, if this will wake some people up and realize, oh my gosh, I've got to change something, then hey, this short term thing, maybe it'll be a, enough to avert the next disaster because more people got their financial house in order. And, you know, hey, you know, an economy can handle 1% of the population out of work extra, but, you know, it can't handle 10 or, you know, things start to really break down. And so maybe this short term, bump, you know, it's like if you're driving and you start to nod off and you hit those bumps on the, and then it shakes you and you get back on and you know, those little bumps are discomforting, but they can save a wreck. Just that would have been, that would have happened. So, you know, maybe that's the glass half full thought of where this, uh, where this shutdown is taking us. In, in the, this has happened many times in throughout American history, in case you don't know, in case you're an American who's not paying attention or a foreign national who's listening to this, you know, um, the, the U.S. is required to have a budget every year that is approved and, and, and go for it. And, and it's a common tactic to hold that budget hostage. Um, if there's a thing that you want and, and somebody else doesn't want to pay for it, you can just say, well, I won't agree on the budget. And therefore, because we've, we've moved into January without a budget, um, we can't spend money. Uh, that's a, an overstatement, but there's a there's a bunch of stuff where the government shuts down. Park rangers, um, uh, public defenders. Uh, you know, there's there's a whole wide range of things that are funded either directly or indirectly by the government that are put on hold because you know there's no budget. And that oh know, oh I, I got to interrupt you, Mark. That okay. reminds me of a show I saw or I, a news article I saw online about how because there's no park rangers to clean up the park. You know that that's the the government shutdown is leading to the parks being filthy and full of garbage. No immature people who don't know how to throw their things away is what's <laughs> leading to the parks being full of garbage and trash. If people brought out what they took in, it wouldn't matter. It's not the government's responsibility to clean up the park. It's your responsibility to not mess it up in the first place. And as long as we think it's the government's fault that the government's not there to fix us, then this shutdown is just you know it just woke us out of our slumber don't worry they'll give us some more benadryl and put us back to sleep it's not the government's responsibility to clean up the park it's your responsibility not to throw litter everywhere so okay sorry mark i just 
I forgot about that till you started talking, and then chat my hide, dad gummit. <laughs> the church word for that is stewardship, taking care of that which you have been entrusted. Um, but anyway, so as I was saying, there's there's a in the past. Once this is resolved, they'll pass a budget, and they will almost always retroactively they'll pay a, a big percentage of the people. Military, for example, military budget was already uh, approved, so that's not an issue. But you know, tra- air traffic controllers, things like that, uh, um, they will be they will be paid back. But the people who like Miles's wife, who lost business indirectly, uh, they're not going to be made whole by that. Um, and there are there are uh, either direct or indirect government employees who, who may not. But even if you do say say they resolve this um, early February, and you get all of uh, January's back pay, that doesn't change the fact that you missed January's car payment and mortgage payment and credit card payment. You know, and th- this has now uh, put it a, a ding in you know the the you know trivial your, your credit score but even more so in just your ability to function and and your uh, uh trustworthiness score you know the the fact of whether or not people believe you are are worthy of of being trusted these, these things this can be a big deal um and you know as we have always espoused uh, uh, on this show um th- the important thing for you to realize now as Seth is, you know, sort of made that realization is you've got to, you've got to fill the storehouses. You've got to plan for these sort of things. You've got to have an emergency fund. You've got to have contingency plans, and you know, hopefully that contingency plan isn't just throw everything on the visa and hope it all works out. Um, but you know, the government shutdown is is one thing that can happen. But there's you know, there's any number of things that could happen to people, and we all think that you know, uh, I make a paycheck. I'm going to make that paycheck all the time. But uh, this is a good opportunity, maybe a wake up call. For you to to uh, you know put some money aside, surprise you know shocking. So the only way you can put money aside, I know this is complicated, so bear with me. This is this is big numbers. The only way to put money aside is to not spend everything you make. I, I know I understand that's un-American, um, and that's a very unpopular line of thought. But you have to actually spend less than you make. Okay, well, you got to break that down, Mark. Sometimes it's just a hard concept to grasp. <laughs> yeah. If you could start over from the beginning and maybe do some baby steps. Yeah. So for every dollar you make, you have to not spend a dollar five. That's the American way. So a dollar uh, four would be no, okay. No, uh, you have to spend like eighty-seven cents, right? And but then the rest of it. But so what about credit cards? Yeah, see, well, that's that's still spending. They told me I could use the credit card. You know, you have to pay those back, right? Oh, what? Really? Yeah. <laughs> so if you if you are, um, uh, I'm going to make a few uh, assumptions here based on my own life, right? So I am a uh, a Bible believing Christian, and I I believe that it is uh, um, uh, a mandate uh, that I. Uh, support my local church and missions, typically to the tune of 10% of my income. All right. I also um, believe that it's important to put away uh, at least 10% of my money into uh, short-term savings. And then uh, I believe it's important to put about 15% of my income into long-term savings, i.e. retirement. So a little quick math there. That's 35% of my income is go somewhere else before it comes to me. So if you are if you are 
trying to to plan ahead uh, for long term and plan for the short term and support good causes whether whether it's uh, a biblical tithe or just you know um, i've talked about it before behind this microphone there is something that happens there is some undeniable measurable thing that happens when you give whether it's you know in the spirit of christianity or whatever when you give good things happen this has been you know documented throughout history giving is it is a is a magical thing so if you're going to set aside some money to give, you're going to set aside some money for short term, and then you set aside for mo- some money for long term, you need to be living on about 60 to 70% of what you make. That is a radical thought these days. Um, it's the way our grandparents lived, but in the modern thinking, that is just, uh, it's almost inconceivable. Well, you see, people think, oh, I could never do that, but they don't realize that there is marketing and advertisements that are crafted to take money out of your pocket and put it in someone else's pocket. And all of the ads that you see and the, you want this and this brand name and that, and you know, all of that is designed to take money out of your pocket and put it in someone else's. So it's not, there's not this neutral world out there and it's only, oh, I should save or do something. It's like, no, you have to fight against the indoctrination. Oh, we call it advertising. We call it marketing. We call it brand awareness. But there is an indoctrination that takes place on a daily basis, hourly basis. When you're up and you see the billboard and you want to stand in line at Starbucks and all that, that is designed to take your money away from you and give it to somebody else. So you have to fight against that to get to neutral. And then you have to fight even harder to put some away. Like for the first six months that I had my job or three months, I don't know, three months, it was a while. I was a, I was a 1099 employee. And so I realized, you know, I could, I could have a lot of money right now and be screwed when tax time comes, or I can realize, okay, this is what my tax would be roughly rate. And so, and then, so I took that money and I set it aside and I put extra. So when I have to file my taxes, I've already got the money and savings to pay for it. And then I'm going to have a little bonus because I put extra away. So, but that was a decision I made when I got the first paycheck that I have to do that. So I won't be, I won't be in trouble later. So, you know, darn responsibility growing up. And so, you know, my, my number of 65%, that's of your take home pay. (laughs) Let's not forget that most Americans, by the time they've paid uh, federal, state and local taxes, give up about 20% of their gross. So you're actually living on about 50% of your gross income if you're trying if you're that's that's what all the books say you should do you should live on about 50 percent of your gross income so if you work if you have a job making a hundred thousand dollars a year your budget should be for fifty thousand dollars that's hard that's very difficult but that's how you get through things like a stupid government shutdown or uh, an injury or a, a divorce or you know the things that can rock your world that's how you get through that and our grandparents knew that but we've lost that and and our children uh, they don't even have a stance yet i you know i don't think americans have lost it at all in fact i one of the noteworthy things i found when i came to the states was this 
dogged persistence and this willingness for the buck to stop on your desk and it's ingrained within the American culture and I I love it. I think it's awesome. And you don't find that in a lot of other places when you travel. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to government you know, involvement in our lives. I mean, here our government is dysfunctional and crazy and makes a mess of everything and yet it doesn't get into every little nook and cranny of everything we do. I mean, it gets into a lot, but not everything. But that makes people a little more self-aware, a little more self-sufficient maybe. And sometimes, yeah, you just have to have that little reminder, hey, by the way, you better have some something in the pantry for when the food runs out or what happens if the power goes down for 24 hours? Have you got something to get you through that? Or what happens if you lose your main source of income? You know, what is it? Um, but I think people here are a bit more – in Arizona, they're really good at it. There's a real frontier spirit here. There's a real kind of like, we'll tough it out, we'll get through this. Maybe it's because of the weather, I don't know. But it's <laughs> – but I've noticed it in New York City. I've noticed it in Boston. I've noticed it in Florida. I mean, it's the same sort of persistence. we just got to pull that back out and tap into it again. It's a really rich resource. Let me ask you, Miles has kind of a an immigrant who's kind of cast your lot in with us. Do you notice that it, to the same degree you used to, or would you say it's lessened over time? Uh, that's a very good question because it has lessened over time. And the worst enemy of it is the simple saying, no child, no, every child wins a prize. That is the biggest danger to the uh, buck stops here metaphor that you could ever have. Because when you create that false sense of security, that's when things break. I recently read a, a, a book uh, called uh, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. Um, and it was a book written by a millennial uh, for millennials uh, talking about it was it was interesting. I read it, you know, to help me understand these these younger people that I'm working with. Um, and it's uh, it, he talks about that in in very frank terms. You know, the the uh, everybody gets a trophy mentality has led to an entitled generation, and this this you know uh, millennial recognizes that and is saying, you know, this may be a shock to you, but nobody is going to give you anything just for showing up. Um, and that's I, I've seen that in the workforce that uh, you know for for a Gen Xer like myself. The fact that you have a job is reason to work. For a millennial, the fact that you have a job just means you have a job. Now you have to give me a reason to work. Um, and it's just a, it's a real uh, uh, mentality shift there. And 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 the, to your point there, one of the things that he was talking about is that uh, you know uh, millennials, young people, have to learn that they're not in charge of anything. They're not the boss of anything until they've earned that. And um, yeah, I worry about that uh, that well-meaning, well-intentioned um, idea that was prevalent for you know a generation, and I see it pulling back a little bit now. Of praising a child for you know just being you is the best thing you can be. When the world says, "I don't care who you are. What can you do for me? What can you show me? What can you make?" And uh, those those two mentalities are going to clash pretty hard in the next twenty years. Yeah, well, we're, we're living in a place that has a $21 trillion debt. 
And that's not counting for any future uh, commitments to entitlements like Medicare and Social Security and so on. I'm just talking about what we're carrying around with us now. If that's the way our country wants to operate, imagine if that was your household finances and you were carrying around a couple of hundred thousand dollars of credit card debt and you're just going to go around like nothing's really a big problem. We'll get to this when we get to it. Let's just keep going. Oh, uh, little Johnny needs a knee operation. Here, just put it on the credit card. Oh, here, you know, I need to fix the roof on the house. I've got a leak. Put it on the credit card. You know, that's what's killing us. And this lack of willingness to go in there and fix something yourself or avoid the problem in the first place, take some responsibility, means that we just fall back to a third party in all cases to cover ourselves. And that's what our government's been doing, the third party being the Federal Reserve. And in our case, the third party is the credit card, the bank, you know, uh, a HELOC on your home mortgage or whatever it might be. It's, It's all bad. And look, we can't predict the future. Everyone has adverse events, whether you're hit by a car, whether you lose your job, whether there's a government shutdown or whether there's an earthquake, hurricane, you know, pick your natural disaster of choice. It's going to happen. And the only person who can save yourself from it is you. And the only way you can do that is to have enough stockpile of everything you need. Think like a prepper. Get, you know, a couple of weeks worth of food in the pantry. Get water and get money. Lots of money. Hoard it. Do what you have to do, but hold on to it because when the day comes and you have it, you'll get through and your neighbor won't. Now, that's that's just natural, everyday village mentality, but we, we if we don't remember that and we think that it's okay, the government will save me, it's okay, my boss will save me, it's okay, I've, you know, I've got a degree, uh, none of that matters. <laughs> none of that matters. And at the end of the day, we've just got to take some personal responsibility. That's all. Seth, you were going to say? Oh, I just, um, while Miles was talking, I looked up and, and of course these are only estimates. It would be impossible to figure out to the penny right now, but the debt per taxpayer of the United States is just under $180,000. Everybody who pays taxes, that's your share of the debt. And it is going up continuously as we speak. So even if you figured out what 5% interest on that, let's say 1% interest of $180,000. Well, that's just under $2,000 a year in paying interest that you have to pay to keep the debt from going up. In addition to paying everything it takes to move forward. And, you know, so it, it's just, it's, it's something to think about and, oh, well, but in the future has, you know, and I understand leverage and there's a place for that. And, you know, but there's also a day of reckoning. And the problem is at some point, you know, the rest of the world isn't going to need our crap and then we're going to be in trouble. So, and if we take care of it now, then, you know, it won't be so bad later. But if we wait till later, it's only going to get worse every day. So, I mean, you know, if if we can't get, if I can't get my financial house in order, what right do I have for those I elect and empower to run the country? What right do I have that they demand they put their, they put the nation's financial house in order? So again, it comes back, the government's not going to save us. The government 
people care about power and, oh, you know, well, we're a Christian found on Christian principles and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, there's some truth in that, but here's the deal. People care about power. And once you get a hold of something, you don't want to let go. And the government, when it collects power, it's very hard to let go of it. So I don't know. That just went in a totally different direction. So I'm sorry. You can go back and delete this <laughs> in the editing. Seth, you said something earlier that was really interesting. It kind of struck a chord. You're talking about national parks and people littering. Uh-huh. Um, I learned something really interesting last year. I was in Mexico. I was in Mexico City, and we had a tour bus that was going out to the pyramids that are on the north side of the city. Uh, brilliant archae- archaeological uh, day trip, by the way. But anyway, um, on the way, we went out. To a, we're all on a bus and we went to a certain point and then after that we were kind of in the country and there weren't going to be any facilities for maybe 25 miles or 30 miles or something. So they pulled into a gas station and said, if anybody needs water or food or snacks or needs to go to the bathroom, this is your last chance for the next like 30 miles, right? So we get off the bus, we go into the gas station And, of course, everyone needs to go to the bathroom. Well, bathrooms in Mexico are kind of interesting. If you want to go to the bathroom, you better have a couple of pesos ready because there's a couple of people standing at the door that's going to want money for you to go to the bathroom. Hmm. And I thought, well, that seems unfair. You know, what? Shouldn't I? the, The vendor, the gas station should just provide for the bathrooms, right? Well, no, it doesn't kind of work that way. We get so used to going and getting free stuff, like going to the bathroom, and we just take it for granted. But it isn't always the case because somebody has to clean up the bathroom. And what they've done in Mexico, and I'm sure in many other countries, is this is an industry where people get paid to do it. So they stand by the entrance of the bathroom and you give them, I don't know, two peso, five pesos, whatever it is. You go and do your number two or whatever and you come back and they're happy because they got paid. And then when the place is empty, they get out there and they go in there and they clean it. And I tell you what, you oh, it sounds horrible. You could eat off the floor in there. No, you don't want to do that. But they're, they're spotlessly clean. In a third world country that you would never think would have spotlessly clean bathrooms. They do because they get paid to do it because we, the customer, make the assumption that they should get paid and that nobody's going to look after it on our behalf. Um, There's the answer to your national parks problem. Well, you know, there was a time in America, pay toilets used to be a thing. (laughs) So if you're younger than I am, you have never seen it. And if you watch old 70 shows like the Rockford, Rockford Files, where that was actually, you know, used it as a joke in a scene. But there was a time where, and it was never 100% that way, but it was not... It was not out of the ordinary that if you went to a gas station, it was like, it was like a coin operated to get in the door. You had to you had to put some money in. So, and the reason so that I, didn't work is nobody actually did any additional work or cleaning. It was right. just a revenue stream without any service provided behind it. Right. Uh, I'm yeah. sure at some point they did, but yeah, no it it takes money and it takes effort, and people just people don't want to do it because they want to be about taking the selfie instead of enjoying the experience. And yeah, I don't know. 
Seth, that reminds me of a question. What happened this week in history? Oh, great transition, Mark. Okay. Uh, on January 19th, 1953, Lucy, Lucille Ball goes to the hospital. Uh, Lucy goes to the hospital is an episode of the 1950s American television show, I Love Lucy, in which the title character, Lucy Ricardo, gives birth to her son, little Ricky, after a predictably chaotic sequence of events. 12 hours before the broadcast, the actress who played Lucille, Lucy Ricardo, Lucy Ball, Lucille Ball, sorry, butchering names today. She had given birth to Desi Arnaz Jr. by cesarean section. The episode had actually been filmed on November the 14th, 1952, so a couple of months in advance. This episode was the culmination of an unprecedented pairing of the fictional pregnancy of Lucy with the real-life pregnancy of Lucille Ball. Real-time pregnancy was fictitiously narrated for the first time on American television. So this episode... 71.9% of all American homes with television sets tuned in, which is accounting for 44 million viewers. But you think about people, TVs weren't widespread this time. So this was such a big deal that the first episode, the first issue of the TV guide, which came out in April had a picture of her baby on it. And the cover story of Newsweek was all about the episode, which hadn't even aired by the, when Newsweek went to print. So you think about that now it's no big deal for characters who are pregnant in real life to have their character become pregnant on the show. But the script was given to a rabbi, a priest and a minister and a pastor Were they in a bar. <laughs> no, <laughs> or on a golf course, but to make sure that it wouldn't be offensive. That's, I mean, nothing. I mean, you know, we think about people like, uh, keeping up with the Kardashians and, you know, Kanye West and people like that. But, Almost three quarters of every television set in America was tuned to this event. So there was, I mean, Lucille Ball was the original reality TV star before reality was a thing. So that happened this week in history, Mark. And now back to you. Uh, I'm, I'm, um, I'm probably going to lose some red blooded American male credit when I, uh, when I say this, but I didn't like Lucille Ball. I didn't like that show. Uh, I don't like slapstick in general. And other than like the conveyor belt scene where they were eating chocolates, I didn't find that show funny at all. But Mark, I'm also a generation sp- removed from it. You got some splaining to do. I know. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's make fun of a, a an accent, shall we? Uh, <laughs> all right. Now, Seth, what do you have to be to, I don't know, be interesting this week? Okay. got to come up with something. <laughs> well, Mark, okay. You're going to need to edit this link, but men valentine's day is coming up soon and i know you need to buy flowers for your woman but drop some hints and get your woman to buy a bouquet for you so if you click on this link it will take you to amazon and you (laughs) you can get a beef jerky flower bouquet a mixed half dozen set uh you can get it in a beer mug if you don't like kind of the stein glass it comes in so mark if you can fix this where it's elementop.com slash amazon and so you can you can help the show and you can help yourself and you know your wife gets you some beef jerky and you get her some roses and everybody in the family is happy so this is a win for everybody your family is happy. We make a little bit on the juice of the purchase and the world is a better place. You've done your part to end the economic downturn in the element OP production empire. So Mark, what do you think? Is this a great link here? 
Beef it's jerky awesome. flower bouquet. Except it's 150 bucks for a half dozen. I mean, that's more expensive than real roses. Um, and they look more like nipples than I'm actually comfortable with. But other oh. than that, this is super cool. <laughs> well, uh, they, there's other links as well. It wasn't. It must be because it's getting close to Valentine's Day because others. Okay, here's one like in beef jerky rose bouquet with a mug is only fifty three dollars. <laughs> yeah. So you know, and that way it kind of comes in a it kind of comes in a beer mug that you get, and so you know you can get one of these a year, and you never before you know it, you'll have a set for for the man cave. I, gu- I guarantee awesome. this is cheap when you compare it to the cost of your divorce that you're going to get giving <laughs> this one away. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, women want equal rights. We want They want us to spend loads of money on them. They can pony up and spend loads of money on us too. Uh, all right. But it's all our money anyway, right? I'm just going to end this right now and say this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us. Go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page and uh, answer the world's hardest captcha. Fill out the form there and tell us how evil and and toxic masculine, toxically masculine Seth is uh, for that link. Um, tell us about how we're old fogies who don't understand what it's like in the real world and how you can't save because life is hard. Let us know uh, what you think about any of this sort of stuff um we really do appreciate feedback um uh, also the the best way to feedback the the most amazing thing you could possibly do is throw money at us over at patreon.com slash element or element slash patreon works either way um and uh you know stand up and be counted you uh pledge a, a buck a show and when i do a show you give a buck that seems fair if we're not worth a buck i don't know we're certainly not worth beef jerky um <laughs> I'm but anyway, beef jerky. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate I you. Be worth beef jerky. Sorry. We appreciate you listening, uh, Seth uh, Miles. As always, you're the, always, as always, you're the best host I can afford on on what I can uh, pay you. And so, um, thank you for being here, Agenda. Uh, great to have you in the chat room as always. elementopcom slash live. Go there uh, around about seven thirty p.m. Eastern on a given Sunday night, um, and we'll be there. And you can be in the chat room, and you can uh, see this uh, train wreck of a show unedited, uh, and also uh, comment uh, and things there. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll see you that. that uh, we'll see you next time because that's it for this episode of the Geek Rant. And remember, pay for what you like. <laughs>